This week, force majeure dispute following Texas winter storm, CBL files amended RSA, Judge Jones conditionally approves Cedral Partners DS. And as always, updates from Puerto Rico. Hello and welcome to the Reorg Podcast, where we bring you the latest top developments in high yield, distressed debt, and bankruptcy. I'm Connor Skelding. Later, LATAM team lead Kyle Owusu will discuss Argentine oil company YPF and its state of play after the company's liability management exercise has begun. It's Friday, March 26th. A dispute about the applicability of force majeure clauses in power hedging agreements due to extreme weather caused by Storm Uri may dictate legal strategies taken by Texas electricity generation projects facing high bills from financial institution hedge counterparties. Canadian Brakes, the owner and manager of a 210.1 megawatt, 87 turbine wind farm in Deaf Smith and Oldham counties in the Texas Panhandle, filed a petition in a Texas state court on March 1st against hedge counterparty J.P. Morgan after the bank presented the wind farm with a $79 million bill for power purchased in the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, or ERCOT, during Storm Uri. Canadian Brakes is asking for a declaratory judgment that a force majeure provision in the ISDA Master Agreement governing the purchase and sale of electricity firm LD Energy between J.P. Morgan and Canadian Brakes relieved the wind farm of its contractual obligations to deliver a fixed amount of electricity to J.P. Morgan during Storm Uri, quote, because its turbines and the Texas energy market failed to function. J.P. Morgan removed the suit from state court to the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Texas on March 9th. The bank filed an answer and counterclaims in the district court on March 22nd, seeking $79 million in damages and a declaratory judgment that the force majeure provision does not excuse Canadian Brakes' non-performance under the agreement. J.P. Morgan distinguishes Canadian Brakes' obligations under the party's hedging agreement from the wind farm's other separate contracts and operations and argues that Canadian Brakes' broader framing of the force majeure issue does not fit within the terms of the hedging agreement. The CBL and Associate Properties debtors filed on Monday morning an amended restructuring support agreement resolving their disputes with pre-petition lenders and Agent Wells Fargo and paving the way for a potentially consensual restructuring of the Mall REITs funded debt. According to a press release issued by the debtors, the amended RSA is supported by holders of more than 88% of their pre-petition credit facility and holders of more than 64% of CBL and Associates LP senior notes. Under the amended RSA, credit facility lenders other than the consenting crossover holders would share a new $883.7 million four-year amortizing term loan with limited financial covenants, new collateral, and interest at L plus 2.75% plus $100 million in cash. At a status conference Wednesday, Ray Schrock of Weil Gottschall, counsel for the debtors, walked Judge David Jones through the amended restructuring support agreement with term lenders and previewed remaining issues in the cases. According to Schrock, the debtors still have, quote, wood to chop to resolve the claims of property-level lenders holding guarantees from the parent debtor entities, although Schrock said that he, quote, expects all of that is going to work out. Schrock told the judge that the debtors do not expect to exit Chapter 11 until after November 1st. 
Judge David Jones approved Cedril Partners' disclosure statement on a conditional basis at a hearing on Wednesday after counsel announced, quote, significant progress on a global settlement with Cedril Limited. Judge Jones said he will sign an order conditionally approving the DS after Cedril Partners makes what he called the, quote, non-substantive procedural modifications discussed on the record that day. Those revisions will be aimed at providing additional information to trade creditors, including those that might hold claims arising out of master service agreements. The news about progress on a settlement with Cedril Limited came at the outset of the hearing. Cedril Partners Counsel Brian Schartz of Kirkland & Ellis told the court, Instead of being tens of millions of dollars apart, we're maybe a handful of millions of dollars apart. Although he added, quote, nothing's been agreed to yet. If the negotiations are successful, they would result in a, quote, global resolution of all issues with Cedra Limited, including issues arising before and during the bankruptcy case, as well as during the post-emergence period, he said. Paul Zumbro of Cravath, counsel for Cedra Limited, confirmed that the parties have made, quote, good progress in settlement discussions with multiple proposals having been exchanged. The next status conference on these settlement discussions is set for Tuesday, March 30th at 2 p.m. Eastern. And as always, turning to the island of Puerto Rico. The Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority's 15-year contract with Luma Energy to operate and maintain the Public Utilities Transmission and Distribution, or TND, system could lead to litigation amid separate, quote, exhaustive legislative probes in both the island House of Representatives and Senate that increasingly appear aimed at amending or rescinding the agreement. The Puerto Rico Bar Association said it expects potential legal challenges of the Luma deal to go, quote, all the way to the Puerto Rico Supreme Court. Legislative leaders, meanwhile, signaled that they are prepared to go to court to compel the submission of certain information by Luma and governmental parties to the agreement. House Economic Development, Planning, Telecommunications, Public-Private Partnerships, and Energy Committee Chairman Luis Raul Torres, who is heading the House probe, said he expects to render a final report in mid-April that, quote, is probably going to have to be aimed at canceling the contract. The Senate Special Projects and Energy Committee is also investigating it. Amid the hearings by the popular Democratic Party-controlled legislature, the new Progressive Party-controlled executive branch, PREPA and LUMA, have defended the legality and aims of the contract and continue to work through a front-end transition period towards a service handover targeted for June 1st. In this long-running legal challenge to the constitutionality of the Promiso Oversight Board brought by plaintiffs including community advocacy and labor groups, Judge Laura Taylor Swain on Monday adopted the July 13th report and recommendation of Magistrate Judge Judith Gale Dean recommending that the court deny the plaintiff's motion to amend their complaint. Judge Dean concluded that the amendments failed to remedy the plaintiff's lack of standing to assert these claims. In adopting the recommendation, the Title III court overruled the plaintiff's objection to the report and directed the adversary proceeding to be terminated, consistent with the court's prior opinion granting dismissal. Judge Swain also noted that the court had found that the first three causes of action failed to allege any specific decisions by the United States, the governor, or the O-Board that caused a redressable injury, and the complaint fails to plead any specific description of the injury on account of the exercise of power granted by PROMISA. The original six-count complaint argued that the, quote, imposition of the Oversight Board over Puerto Rico by the U.S. Congress was illegal and that certain provisions of PROMISA unconstitutionally violated the plaintiff's rights under the First, Fifth, and Fourteenth Amendments of the U.S. Constitution. 
In addition, the plaintiffs requested that the court stay the adoption of any fiscal plans or adjustment of public debt until an independent auditor could conduct a forensic audit. Top red stories this week included Third Circuit definitively rejects triangular set-off, holds parties cannot contract around bankruptcy codes mutuality requirement. J.P. Morgan eyes securitization strategy as Texas wind generators that forsook PPAs for hedge agreements face massive liability due to storm turbine failures. Post-reorg, Noble Corporation and Pacific Drilling announce agreement to combine an all-stock transaction. PACD shareholders to receive 24.9% of Noble shares at closing. Now, as always, here's Jim Holloway, our senior reporter based in Houston, who will take us through the week to come. Well, thank you. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to a holiday shortened week. And on Monday, March 29th, there is a preliminary injunction motion hearing in Highland Capital and a discovery conference in Fieldwood Energy. Tuesday, March 30th, earnings from PetSmart and Academy Sports. Wednesday, March 31st, confirmation hearing in Gulfport Energy. Thursday, April 1st, confirmation hearing for RentPath and a motion to disqualify council hearing in Maxis. Friday, April 2nd, recognition hearing up in Canada for Just Energy, and it's the Good Friday holiday, of course, in the Western nations that use the Julian calendar, of course, in Russia, and many Orthodox nations, that feast falls on April 17th this year and is known as Great Friday. And that's it from the Gulf Coast of Texas, where I'm happy to announce we've entered summer. Back to New York, where I think you're still in spring. Thank you, Jim. And now we have Kyle on YPF. Thanks. I'm Kyle Uusu, Director of Emerging Markets Credit at Reorg, and today I'm going to discuss Argentine power company YPF. YPF's new 2029 and 2033 bonds, which were issued as part of the company's February liability management exercise, are being offered at around 58.50 and 48, respectively, according to Solve Advisors. The secured 2026 bonds are being offered at about 83. The Argentine Integrated Power Company must prove to the market that it will be able to embark on growth towards its pre-pandemic production levels under its 2.7 billion CapEx program whilst preserving its balance sheet. Net leverage is just under five times. The 2.7 billion investment would represent a 61% year-on-year increase from 2020 levels, and YPF has already acknowledged that any proceeds from non-core asset sales would be used to support its as, its CapEx program and not pay down debt. The company's chief financial officer, Alejandro Liu, said on the fourth quarter 2020 earnings call that as YPFs, that as YPF starts putting back um, its production in line, the normalization of its EBITDA should help stabilize net leverage. So taking a look at the capital structure pro forma for YPF's debt exchange, the company has about $8 billion of debt comprising 1 billion uh, loans and export financing, 775 million of new secured bonds, and about 7 billion of unsecured debt, which includes 1 billion of local bonds. Like most other credits at the time, um, YPF's 8.5% bonds, which mature in July 2025, were trading around their lows um, in March and April of 2020. Uh, The bonds fell from the mid-80s at the beginning of March all the way down to the mid-40s. However, by May, the bonds started to recover and were trading at around 80 by September 10th. Then, on September 15th, the Argentine Central Bank issued new regulations to limit access to foreign currency by local companies amidst weakening foreign, net, foreign reser- net foreign exchange reserves. Sorry, 
under those regulations, local companies uh, can access the foreign exchange market for only up to 40% of the amount due on international debt maturing between October 15th, 2020 and December 31st, 2021. The 8.5% uh, July 25 bond subsequently traded down to about 57 by October, and the market's attention turned to near-term debt maturities um, that were issued by Argentine uh, companies, such as YPF's 8.5% bonds due 2021. On Jan 7th, January 7th, YPF announced that it was commencing an exchange offer for all of its outstanding old notes, as well as the solicitation of consents to amend and eliminate certain covenants and events of default. Under that exchange, uh, the company's old note notes, so the 2021, 24, 25, July 25, 27, 2029, and 2047, um, would receive originally a, a mix of consideration um, comprising export-backed 2026 secured notes, um, 2029 notes unsecured, and 2033 unsecured notes. So, for example, the 2021 old note holders under the original exchange offer uh, were set to receive 1,182 principal amount of export-backed new 2026 notes, whereas the 47 old note holders would receive 1,103 principal of new 2033 notes. Now, importantly, the new notes would pay zero coupon, 0% coupon from settlement date through December 31st, 2022. And in the case of the export-backed 26 and 29 notes, 8.5% thereafter. And with regard to the 33s, 7% thereafter. YPF said that the purpose of the exchange offers um, is to extend the average life of debt obligations associated with the old notes, as well as provide the company with relief regarding cash payments under its outstanding Forex dominated uh, or foreign currency rather dominated, denominated, sorry, financial debt uh, through 2022. And um, specifically with regard to the old 2021 notes to comply with the central bank regulations. Now, creditors were not happy. Um, they retained Deckert and DLA Piper Argentina. Um, another separate bondholder group was working with Clifford Chance. Um, the the Deckert uh, and DLA Piper bondholders indicated to YPF that deferring interest payments on the new notes would be quote unquote unnecessarily punitive because it seeks to use issues pertaining to the 2021 notes to forcibly restructure all series of the old notes. Um, so the the context there is that the the, the creditors are accused were accusing were accusing I should say uh, YPF of using um, the issue surrounding the 2021s being how are you going to take out the 2021s when you have limited access to the FX window using that issue um, in order to opportunistically restructure all series of its old notes. Now in a January 10th letter. The group said that the exchange would amend or eliminate certain covenants and events of defaults under the old note indentures, and the the letter characterized that move as hostile and warned that all of the company's goodwill established over decades and rewarded until now with market access when other Argentine borrowers were locked out would be irreparably tainted. On January 26th, YPF said it would amend the terms of the exchange 
So first and foremost, you had an increase in the coupon for the new secured 2026, new 2029, and new 2033 notes. So for example, for the new 2026 notes, uh, the coupon would be 4% from settlement date through 2022. And then afterwards, that would bump up to 9%. Um, for the 29s, you had 2.5% through 2022, then bump up to 9% through 29. And then for the 33s, 4.5% bumping up to 7%. Um, there was also a cash kicker introduced for the 21 old notes, and then the consideration mix for the 24s, um, 25s, et cetera, et cetera, was uh, slightly altered. And then on, on February 1st, uh, YPF announced a, a third amendment to the exchange offer. So the consideration for the 2021 old notes um, was changed to 824 principal amount of new secured 26s and 283 cash uh, from 949 um, principal amount of new 26s and 158 cash. So you saw an increase in the cash kicker. Um, but additional amendments include uh, excluding the possibility of issuing additional new secured 2026 notes. So addressing layering risk um, for the new 2026 notes, increasing the amount of cumulative 12-month export collections required to flow through the export collection account from 110% to 120% of the principal and interest payments due within 12 months of the date of determination. Increase the cash balance required to be held in the reserve and payment account to 125% of the principal and interest due on the two next succeeding quarterly payment dates under the new secured 2026 notes. And finally, include a pledge of certain shares which are held by YPF in YPF Energia Electrica um, as additional security for the new secured 2026 notes. So you saw a bit of, a bit of collateral enhancement, um, or I should say more than a bit of collateral enhancement uh, with regard to the new 2026 notes. So, YPF owns 75% of YPF Energia Electrica, or YPF Luz. Um, YPF Luz is an Argentine power genera generator with 2,249 megawatts of installed capacity, of which roughly 10% is renewable energy related to wind farms. And the other 25% um, of YPF Luz is owned by GE. Now, Pursuant to the terms of uh, the shareholders' agreement and YPF loses bylaws, um, the the registration of transfer of shares following any foreclosure of share collateral would be um, subject to satisfying applicable transfer restrictions, um, and YPF lose may uh, have to obtain appropriate waivers of consent. So. You know, the, the, the 2026 is part of their collateral is the share pledge and YPF lose. But, you know, if, if it comes down to it, enforcing on that collateral may not be uh, straightforward, as is usually the case. Um, or as I should say, as is sometimes the case. In 2021, uh, YPF loses capacity is expected to grow about 10% to 2,480 megawatts with about 16% of its total 2021 capacity coming from renewable assets. Uh, the percentage of revenue from older Energia Base contracts, which is which have been, uh, which have re recently seen their payment scheme um, change from a U.S. dollar base to an Argentine peso base, um, to U from U.S. dollar based to Argentine peso based, 
um, that, that, that percentage is expected to decline to 11% from about 24%. So the company is expecting to increase its capacity um, as well as um, sort of improve its product mix with more of its uh, megawatts coming from um, renewable assets and less of its revenue linked to um, the older legacy contracts. The company's report, now the company being YPF Lose here, um, reported net leverage of, of 3.6 times as of December 31st, 2020. Um, and the 2021 outlook calls for a 43% year-on-year increase in EBITDA to $320 million, with leverage dropping to 2.1 times and CapEx declining by 29% um, to $160 million, with roughly, you know, just under half, 49% of that is going to be related to maintenance. Um, so YPF Lose has 400 million 10% international bonds coming due 2026, um, which are currently being offered at about 83 uh, on solid advisors, translating to a roughly 12% current yield. Um, so that's sort of an overview of the the, 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 the the deal and the proposal and the collateral underlying the 2026 notes. Um, now let's move to the, the to, to YPF SA's operations. So one of the earlier slides in YPF's fourth quarter 2020 slide deck highlights the negative impact that the pandemic has had on the company's business segments. The slide shows 2019 EBITDA of 3.6 billion, um, whereas 2020 EBITDA was about 2 billion. About 59% of this 1.6 billion reduction came from the upstream EMP segment, um, resulting, um, resulting from a decline in, in production and prices. And about 41% of the reduction came from the downstream business um, and was the result of a drop in demand and prices. Um, as I, as I, I mentioned earlier, the, the 2.7 billion CapEx program, um, 2.1 billion of that is going to be going towards the, the upstream business with 1.8 billion allocated towards uh, unconventional oil resources. Uh, management expects the company pr- to produce 206,000 barrels of oil per day in the first half of 2021 with that figure increasing to 210,000 barrels per day in the second half, um, which is still about 7.5% lower than 19 exit levels. Um, Similarly, nat gas production um, is expected to increase throughout the year, resulting in about 37 cubic meters per day, um, also roughly 7.5% lower than the 19 exit levels. Um, And on on the call, um, Alejandro Liu said that uh, YPF expects the increase to continue throughout 2022. So the the, the company um, essentially p- expects that production is going to uh, start to ramp um, in the second half of 2021. And that momentum, um, if you will, is going to carry throughout 2022. And the incremental EBITDA, again, from that production, um, the incremental EBITDA, rather, from that increased production coupled with um, cost increases, or sorry, cost decreases that I'm going to detail later, um, is expected to help the company deleverage um, in the later years. So, um, the the budget calls for 500 million to drill about 90 wells in YPF's Banduria Sur, uh, La Amarga Chica, and Loma Campana blocks, Loma, Loma Campana blocks in, in Bacamarta, accounting for about 50,000 barrels per day of production by the end of 2021. So turning to costs, um, YPF's lifting costs in the fourth quarter of 2020 
fell 19% year on year to uh, 9.70 per barrel of oil equivalent. Um, but they did rise um, about 27.6% sequentially due to increased uh, pulling work over um, and operational maintenance costs as, as the company resumed activity. Um, so Lou said there's more to come of that. So the lifting costs are, are, are likely to continue increasing. However, um, he did say that they, they should be below 2019 levels um, with about two thirds of the lifting cost reductions um, that, that the company experienced through the year related to efficiencies achieved um, and the rest a result of lower production and activity. Um, so compared with pre-pandemic levels, operating costs um, are expected to be um, about 20% lower. Turning to the downstream business, uh, YPF's refinery utilization fell as low as 60% in the second quarter of 2020. Um, de- demand began to recover in April, and uh, the company's January 21 utilization was roughly 86% in line with, with 19 levels. Um, during 2020, you saw gasoline uh, demand, gasoline volumes fall by 30%. Um, while diesel uh, fell by 11%. Um, in April, those volumes were down 70% and 35% year on year. So you saw a real sequential recovery um, in, 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 in both the, the gasoline and diesel demand, which sort of mirrored the um, sequential pickup in activity globally. Um, by December, demand was down 7% and 5% year on year. Um, the, the company's estimated fuels blended price uh, for February is 76 per barrel compared with 86 per barrel in 2019, so still some pricing pressure. Um, and the budget calls for $400 million to be spent on the downstream business in 2021. Um, now, turning to the budget and, and, and sort of, well, not the budget, but turning to liquidity, um, the, the company's budget is calling for, as I've said, $2.7 billion of CapEx. Um, latest fiscal year interest expenses were around $900 million. Uh, Lou says that working capital benefits uh, could be around $500 million. Um, and as I, as I noted above, uh, 2020 EBITDA was roughly $2 billion, um, and management said that that, that, that basically provides a, a floor, if you will, um, in terms of EBITDA expectations. So that implies, you know, roughly um, a floor-level cash burn of about $1.1 billion. Now, I want to stress um, that 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 is a floor level. Um, you know, management expects EBITDA. Um, they didn't give sort of hard and fast guidance, but they expect EBITDA to improve um, certainly from 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 twenty twenty levels. Um, the company reported six hundred fifty million of cash as of December thirty first, and three hundred forty four million of short term investments. Um, now, importantly, the the, the peso por- the, the the Argentine peso portion of YPF's cash and cash equivalents rose to. 75% from 30% um, in the fourth quarter of 2019 because um, the Argentine Central Bank um, is restricting corporations from holding liquid assets abroad uh, if the companies want to have access uh, to the official foreign exchange market. Um, so that, that, that's an overview of YPF, um, you know, detailing the CapEx plans, the expectation to rely on uh, non-core asset sales, for example, you know, farm outs or um, other non-core, other asset sales um, to help uh, augment uh, that or supplement or comp- supplement rather that CapEx program. Um, the incremental production that the company expects to translate to um, increased EBITDA to sort of support the balance sheet while they're 
um, growing uh, production and growing their assets, um, as well as uh, how we got here today with regard to the capital structure and the exchange. Um, thank you very much to our listeners and back to you, New York. Thank you, Kyle. And thank you, listener, for again tuning into this Reorg Weekly Review. As always, you can find our podcast on the Reorg.com media page, as well as Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. See you next week.